So you've decided to give up that old behavior that's been killing you and all you care for and surrender to a power greater than yourself. That's the first step. Surrender is what opens the prison door. Now it's time to walk through that door and into a whole new way of life. Spirituality, self-care, service, social connection, and the simple daily disciplines that pave the way to lasting freedom. This is Positive Sobriety. Welcome to another episode of the Positive Sobriety Podcast. I'm Nate Larkin, uh, here with my friend and co-host David Hampton. Hi, David. Hey, Nate. How are you? I'm all right. Uh, we're recording this uh, in September of 2021. By the way, David, you are looking at somebody who is covered by Medicare. <laughs> well, congratulations and um, and bless your heart. Yeah. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah, you know, somebody as young as I am. I mean, I still feel like I, you know, I didn't 17 know they were giving the it to thirty-eight-year-old people. I, just, <laughs> <laughs> I have to check on you that. Become eligible on the first day of the month of your birthday. So it's a couple days. It's a couple weeks until I officially turn sixty-five. Uh, but hallelujah, my health care uh, insurance costs just dropped by uh, oh, an man. unbelievable amount. Yeah, As I was paying through the nose for crappy coverage with an, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Do so you I'm know? Pretty- I, yes, I pay. I mean, I, I, I'll throw it out there. I pay right at a thousand dollars a month for me. One yeah. one person, not a family. Yep. Yeah, yeah. One person yeah. had to go through the marketplace because I'm not insurable privately because of my heart. Right. And right. do you know, Nate, that as much as I bitch about that thousand dollars a month, um, my hospital bill uh, for the procedure I had back in May uh, mm-hmm. came to about $270,000. No! Yeah, it came to about $270,000, and I only pay, I only had to pay $7,000. So, okay. um, you know, I mean, ugh, I hate paying that $1,000 a month, but it would have been a real... <laughs> <laughs> it would have been a real kick in the ass if I had, <laughs> if I'd had sure. to, you know, be liable. So, so I, I'm grateful for you that your that your costs are going down, and you're going to have some good options, you know. And, yeah, uh, yeah. With that, so, um, golly, though, I mean, does it feel like you've entered a um, a new sphere, a new? A yeah, level of- I have I have strongly ambivalent feelings about this. I do think that eligibility for Medicare is probably the only good thing about aging that I can think of. Right? Yeah, it's yeah. an advantage. Right? Uh, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I, I can get the uh, I can get the old people discounts on a lot of things, but uh, oh well. Uh, one again, once once again, it it's a reminder to me of the brevity of life. The uh, just the fragility and, um, you know, preciousness of life. Yeah. Uh, we've, we've, we've got a, we've got a guest coming up who is 
wide awake to uh, where she is on her life's journey. She knows her age. She knows, uh, you know, what time has passed. She's clear on mission. She is uh, determined to finish strong and to make the best uh, and most beneficial impact on the planet while she's here. Uh, it's, uh, she's an inspiring person to be around, especially if you're a guy my age, just kind of waking up to the fact that, you know, we've, we've just in Ma- in NASCAR terms, did you know I wrote a NASCAR book? No, you yeah, wrote a NASCAR I actually, book. I wrote a NASCAR book. Yeah. Uh, it was one of the great experiences of my life was, uh, a, a, a NASCAR driver, Daryl Waltrip asked uh-huh. me to, to write his, help him write his biography. I didn't know the first thing. About I did not know NASCAR. you worked on that. Cause I know Daryl and Stevie and I didn't know you yeah. wrote that book. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I said, I said yes. And the, and then I went and bought the book NASCAR for dummies <laughs> and, and read that. And then I started traveling with Daryl on weekends, flying to races uh, and, oh. and then sitting in the, broadcast booth or in the stands or down in the pits and kind of learning this whole new world. Right. Yeah. And, uh, so in NASCAR terms, um, I've just turned turn four. There are four turns on that, on that NASCAR loop. Right. Uh So maybe I'm deep into, maybe I'm approaching turn four. I don't know whether I'm, whether I'm approaching, but I'm very damn close to turn four (laughs) and we're headed toward the finish line. And this is where, you know, you kind of put it all on the line. Uh Uh, This is where it counts. Yeah. So uh, that was a very, long rabbit trail I took us on, but well, no, I think that, uh, I think that's important. I think because, um, you know, as we age, our give a shitter goes out and, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we kind of can be honest about what's important to us and what's not and where we want to invest ourselves and where we don't, you know? Yeah. Right. And, right, right, right. uh, start saying no to some things that are less important and yes to the things that are most important. And, uh, yeah. You know, I think that's, uh, I don't know. I, maybe that's wisdom. I don't know, but, uh, I, well, we're going to hear, yeah, whatever we're hear some more of on, that. You're, you're investing yourself. Well, Nate, I'll say that. Thank you. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, <laughs> and you're going to hear some more on this theme in the conversation that comes up. I'm sure you're going to love meeting KL Wills when we're KL, uh, uh KL Wells, Wells, when we return. <laughs> on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. We have a fabulous guest today joining us all the way from Eugene, Oregon, via the marvelous, mysterious, worldwide interweb. Kale Wells is with us. Welcome, Kale. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be with you. Okay. Oh, I'm going to ask the awkward but inevitable question. Sure. What What does KL stand for? Or does it only stand for KL? No, actually, um, I moved to Eugene about 10 years ago. Uh-huh. And um, my given name is Catherine. And uh-huh. it was Catherine Livesay Wells. And uh-huh. I had a great grandfather who went by SJ. And I always thought that was just really cool. And so when I moved to Eugene, I was like, okay, I need to separate myself uh, Uh because there's a lot of Kathy's. And I thought, (laughs) okay, KL, 
here we go. And, and it really has been great. You either know me or you don't, or you've heard of me. And, um, and so it's, it's been really a great way to kind of land in this community and, and to, uh, to be known. And it fits me much better than, than Kathy certainly does. And Catherine's too formal. So. Oh, I love it. And I'm inspired. I just don't like my initials. It doesn't work as well as it does with KL. It just rolls off the tongue. That's wonderful. Thank you. (laughs) So, So, um, David, would you uh, introduce our guest for us a little bit? I've said hi, but give us a little background. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah you've uh, you know defined one mystery for us here, so uh, that's <laughs> great, Nate. Um, now, Kale, welcome. Um, Kale Wells is um, has made her career actually in working with CEOs and executives and leadership initiatives and things like that. Um, but as she was touched uh, in her own personal life by addiction. Uh, she is now the CEO and founder of Voices in Courage, and uh, it's a group for uh, people who are the loved ones of those who are suffering, uh, mm-hmm. which there are many, many, and, um, and, and as a resource on how to uh, love this person, how to find support for yourself, uh, all that is uh, part of Voices in Courage, which we're looking forward to hearing more about. So, uh, Kale, uh, thank you again for being here, and Um, Tell us a little bit about your own background story. Well, I would say it's a generational story, which a lot of stories are. Um, I grew up with a mom that was uh, addicted to uh, to prescription medications, which was very typical back in the 50s and 60s. -hmm. And um, I, I didn't really understand what was going on at the time. But as I got older, I had a clearer perspective on it. And as it turned out, my brother um, ended up being addicted to cocaine and that started early. And so I was in it before I knew I was in it and, um, and ended up kind of um, taking a hold of my, bro- my brother's situation. We were very close in age and we were very close up until the point that he really started down that path and um, ended up helping him get into recovery years later. And, um, and, and so out of that experience, um, when my son started having his issues, I, I subsequently married an alcoholic. Um, and as these things go, um, I was focused on changing my story, but it takes years (laughs) sometimes. And so Married an alcoholic, had my son Sam out of that uh, marriage, um, subsequently divorced that that husband. And um, um, so was in that that way. And then my son um, started drinking and doing drugs, too. And so just the generational trauma Mm -hmm. um, and all that swirls around the patterns of behavior and how we don't allow ourselves to feel pain and how to learn how to go through the experience of pain and rise above, um, transcend and include. That's how I think about it because pain is part of being a human being. And it was really through the experience with my son that I got much clearer about my own journey and really, really started the spiritual journey of this, Mm -hmm. I would say. Um, in a very profound way, um, about five, no, four years ago. Um, well, five years ago, my ex-husband died 
And my son kind of went off the deep end, but we didn't know it until about a year later. And, uh, and then, so three years ago, uh, this, this story is, they're tied together. This was a, in a moment of change for my, myself and my son. At the same time, I walked into a business coaching uh, session with an executive team. And uh, it was just about two, three years ago today. And I realized the energy was off. Something was wrong. And I very quickly understood that the CEO's son had passed away on that Saturday before from a drug overdose. Oh, wow. So what they didn't know until months later, when I felt like it would serve them to understand that I had a window into this that they didn't know, was that the same day that her son died, I witnessed my son being arrested at gunpoint. And so that was between Saturday and Tuesday. So to be able to walk into that room and hold the space for them in their shock, their grief, their uh, like unknowing how to navigate this situation. How do we keep our company going in the midst of our CEO just losing her son? Um, on and on and on, all the questions that swirl around that. Instead of me getting triggered by my own experience that day, I had done a tremendous amount of work in between and was ready and prepared to hold the space for them to be who they needed me to be in that moment because they didn't have anybody else to turn to, really, um, and help them for months navigate the pain, the grief, the all the turmoil uh, corporately that swirled around this experience for them. So um, what I realized in that experience for myself was I had some skills mm. um, to be able to write myself and to be present for them in such a short period of time between my own trauma, which I was still dealing with. And, um, and I thought, okay, there's something to this. What, what do, what have I learned? And, and I continue to learn and grow and stretch and, and all those things. Um, and so the seeds of voices and courage were kind of born then. And then I decided to do a vision quest process, which was nine months long, um, really doing some major deep work spiritually, um, from a native American perspective mm -hmm. and, um, and then, you know, continuing to read and turn to people who had been in this world for a longer period of time than I had from an experiential perspective mm -hmm. and, um, uh, learning what worked for them and what didn't work for them, not just from the addiction perspective, but also from the family perspective. I mean, how do you hold the space for a child or a parent or, you know, loved ones that are in the disease and, um, and not in recovery yet? Um, while all the shattered dreams happen, the trauma of the dealing with the disease the, all the unknowns that swirl around this, because you have no idea. I mean, you know, the, the overdose rates have gone significantly up during COVID, of course. Um, and how do you hold the space for somebody that you love? And how do you thrive personally in the midst of navigating this? And so out of that space, Voices and Courage was born. Wow. wow. Yeah, wow. man, that's, 
go ahead, Nate. Yeah, I'm hearing a few um, themes in what you've shared already, KL. Mm-hmm. One is this ongoing theme of trauma and a trauma-informed uh, a therapeutic or caring approach to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it, it seems also... I've heard it said, I don't know where I heard it said, but I've heard it said that recovery is a lot about learning how to take a punch. Um, we do, mm-hmm. We've ru- been so afraid of being hurt that we've yes. dodged and run and medicated and hidden and all that kind of stuff. When, right. the, when the truth is that inevitably life is going to land some punches mm-hmm. and uh, we need to learn resilience Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, uh, we need to get away from magical thinking, but we also at the same time need to expand our perspective. Uh, later on, I want to make sure we kind of circle back to that Native American theme as well, because I, mm-hmm. uh, I want to find out about uh, some more about that kind of spirituality. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know in, in classic recovery, like, when I first got into recovery 20 years ago, 22 years ago, I knew my wife had been hurt. But what I was told at that point that my wife was that my wife was sicker than me, that mm-hmm. my wife had to do the same work I was doing, mm-hmm. yep. that she that she was the codependent and that she shared responsibility and blame for my behavior through enabling it. Uh, I think it was a, a, a big light went on for all of us in this community when therapists began to notice the similarity between people suffering from PTSD mm-hmm. and the the partners of those of of addicts of every different kind, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so now now there is an expanding field of trauma informed therapy, not yes. just for addicts, but for those who love addicts and care for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if you could expand a little bit on, uh, you know, in your, in your own experience, what that, uh, I, you mentioned trauma several times. How mm-hmm. does trauma play into addiction and how does trauma play into recovery? Well, I, I, after all the <laughs> reading and research and my own journey, you know, I've come to realize that for the, mo- I, I, I generally think we all have trauma in our childhoods. Yes. Um, it's, it's how do we navigate that? And, um, and we have lived in a culture that has been about keeping us from suffering, so to speak. Yes. Keeping us from the pain. Well, it's like the chrysalis. You, you can't let the butterfly out before the butterfly is meant to come out. And so pain is it's a way to etch our souls that's extraordinarily powerful. It creates empathy. It creates understanding. It creates a different place to stand in the river, so to speak. And Mm -hmm. so pain is super useful. And so I think about, you know, pain pushes until vision pulls. Um, And quite frankly, Whoa. (laughs) Whoa. Wow. (laughs) Okay. Give me a minute to write that down. Pain pushes until vision pulls. Okay. Yes. So, um, I, quite frankly, I would not have done the vision quest, although it had been on my list for a long time. Um, if it hadn't been for the extraordinary pain that I experienced with my son's addiction. Yeah. Right. So in so many ways, the pain from that experience with him 
was the catalyst for me to do Vision Quest, which Vision Quest opened up my calling in a way that I had not understood previously. And so I've written my son a thank you letter uh, for Mm. his addiction and for the journey with him in the pain of his journey, my journey, all of our journeys. Um, And recognizing that, you know, life doesn't happen to us, it happens for us. And so that's, I think, you know, part of part of this for me is what's the mindset of somebody who's thriving in the midst of all of this? And what I would say is pain pushes until vision pulls. That's one mindset that I'm very crystal clear on that that um, is kind of a foundation for how I live my life. Um, life happens for us instead of happening to us. There are certain things that my clients, you know, refer to as KL-isms. And, <laughs> and those two in particular um, serve me super, super well. Um, and then another one is always being present to look for the gifts and lessons embedded in every experience, no matter how traumatic, how devastating, how shattering that experience can be, because my experience has been out of those shattering, devastating, life-changing experiences comes the best version of ourselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If we do the work and pull back the pain and allow for the vision to emerge. And our, and actually for me, that was where my calling came out um, yeah. and got crystal clear. So that's what I would say so far. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, KL, Voices Encourage uh, being, you know, something that, that is there for uh, loved ones and families and people suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you speak into somebody who's initially coming into you? Maybe who, um, the things you just said, which are awesome, um, is completely foreign because they are so preoccupied Mm -hmm. with their pain and their fear and how to get my loved one to, you know, behave differently, stop using, doing this, that, and the other. Um, because there's Mm -hmm. so much energy that is focused outward you know, at right. the, at the addiction or at the behavior or at the, uh, the addict themselves. And, um, and so how do we, how do we talk to people who are hurting along with that person and, and, um, and get them to think in more terms of, uh, vision pulling? Well, I, I always meet people where they are and I, I have been in that place. Um, and so I go back to that place, um, and link arms with them, um, and see where the opening is for beginning the journey out of their pain. Um, and so it's a dance, um, to figure out where are, where people are and if they're open to looking at things differently than the story that they're telling themselves right then and there. And, and I'm also very keen, particularly now, I mean, I do a lot of work, um, around, um, anxiety, um, and mental health issues and so on and so forth, Mm -hmm. because I mean, we're just inundated with it right now. Um, and so I see it with all the execs that I work with and, and, uh, the corporations that I work with. And so I think first and foremost, David, it's just meeting people where they are. I've been in that place. Um, it's been a long time since I, um, thought of addiction as uh, that person needs to be fixed. Um, 
I, I don't reside in that place whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, but plenty of people do. And I recognize that and I'm willing to meet them there. And then basically kind of ask for permission. Are they open to possibly seeing things a little differently? Are they open to mm, taking care of themselves first, mm-hmm. getting themselves kind of righted so that they're not just in their brainstem and in you know reaction mode all the time? Um, are they open to doing things a little differently for themselves personally and then potentially seeing things a little differently? Mm-hmm. And if there's a window in, if there's a door in, then I'm willing to walk through that window, uh, climb through that window or walk through that door with them to um, hopefully a healthier and more thriving way to operate in the world so that they can be the best version of themselves while they're also working to be the best version of friend, parent, um, grandparent, sister, brother of the person that they love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. KL, I am fascinated by, um, I mean, I can't get out of my head, pain pushes till vision pulls. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that, that, you know, you, your life pivoted at the point where you committed to a vision quest. Mm-hmm. What I heard you say was that took some time. The vision quest wasn't something you did on a weekend. Oh, no. Uh, it, <laughs> okay. It was a uh, nine-month process. <laughs> yeah. And it was not done in splendid isolation. I, 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 at least that's what I'm picking up. You, you had no, the guidance, there was, the there help, was the support of a community? Of us. Yes. Okay. There was a group of four of us uh, with two shamans. Okay. All right. Yes. Uh, with the aid of plant medicine, can I ask? No. No. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-mm. And uh, uh, so- Kale, did you, um, how much time in that nine months did you spend with, uh, the shaman and, uh, was it a daily practice or how did, how did that work? Well, there were certainly daily practices that I incorporated into my life, um, out of that experience. Um, we met a weekend every month. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I would talk to the shaman that was guiding me the most in this process Um, so I would say on average, somewhere between three to four or five days a month, um, with all the things that I was doing, we were, we did a sweat lodge every month. Now Uh I didn't go into this, um, completely cold. Um, I've done sweat lodges for years. So at this point I've probably done 150 sweat lodges, um, I am a backpacker, so I'm used to being in the wilderness, um, and that is not a, an unknown territory for me. So um, I think I was a little bit better prepared for this than some people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But every month was uh, showing up for a weekend of dedicated work, um, uh, journaling, talking, being on the land, um, getting guidance, going through a sweat lodge, um, so on and so forth, um, receiving information, um, and then putting that information to work and working with it for the three, four weeks before we got together again. And, um, and I was in the throes of some of the worst of my son's addiction at that point. So it was, it was big, deep, and I was committed to the work. 
So I brought my A game every time we got together. I shared all the, you know, the raw, real, dirty tears, all of it um, during that whole experience. And I, you know, I got cracked wide open and, um, and I was super comfortable. I became super comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm. There you go. Uh Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you were in a safe, you were in a safe place to be, mm-hmm. on, to be raw and vulnerable. Absolutely. Yes. And, yeah, and yeah. that's critical for me. Um, I had had numerous opportunities through the years. I've lived in Montana and, yeah. you know, been around tribes and, but intuitively I knew that the only person I would ever do this with was somebody I knew I could trust my life with. Yeah. Yeah. And that's this must how be- that came. This must be very difficult to replicate in a corporate environment, in a corporate boardroom. A corporate environment typically is not su- not so much supportive as competitive. It's a dangerous place to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And somehow, uh, uh, when you're working in a corporate setting, you're typically working with one person or with a group of people. Uh, how, how does that work? It really varies. I mean, generally uh-huh. my door in is through the CEO. All of my yeah. business at this point is by referral. Um, yeah. I'm very picky about who I work with uh-huh. um, because, you know, I'm in the last third of my life. I want to make sure that my impact matters and not everybody is willing to play at the level I need them to play at. So um, we'll do a dance. And if, if it works for both of us to get the results that they say they want, and I'm seeing results, um, that matter to me, um, then we'll continue to work together. Um, sometimes that doesn't happen and, um, we go our separate ways. Um, generally assuming that that continues to grow and work, um, I end up working with the executive teams. Uh, I'm just coming off a month of doing, um, you know, two day retreats with corporations that I work with. Um, you know, the shift that, uh, the corporations that I work with, it takes time to go from the competitive traditional way of running a corporation, yeah. um, to one that is really more, much more human centric. Um, I've been a firm believer for years that a human being walks in the door first of work. Um, and it's a whole human being. And so, um, I'm not a big believer. Well, I don't believe at all, um, in separating, um, you know, bifurcating ourselves. I'm going to walk in, I'm going to be the worker bee, but my personal life is I'm leaving it outside. Well, that's, I'm sorry. That's bullshit. Bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, because when you lose a child or you have a spouse that's terminally ill or sick or, 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 um, I'm sorry, that comes to work with you. So how do you navigate? And that was part of my journey was I love the work that I do. And in the midst of all of this with Sam, I wanted to thrive and still be able to perform. Mm -hmm. Um, and show up for my clients in the way that I had or previous, you know, as best I could. Mm -hmm. Um, but I I'd say half my clients knew what was going on. The other half didn't know. Um, and I only shared when I thought it would serve their journey. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, so. Uh, Kale working with corporations and, and big companies and CEOs and all of that, are you seeing mm-hmm. any shift in the stigmatization 
of people um, who, you know, valued employees, but they've got a problem. Um, is there a shift in the way that those people are being viewed now in the in the bigger business world? I believe so. Um, I wouldn't, I mean, we're just at the tipping point at this mm-hmm. <laughs> juncture. Mm-hmm. Um, we certainly aren't at the majority at all. Um, we're in that top five to 10% right now. Um, and what I've, my experience has been is that when the CEOs have their own personal experience, mm-hmm. then it changes. Mm-hmm. If they're open to reaching out for help and getting a different perspective, once they've been cracked wide open, then generally things can, you have an opportunity. I've had an opportunity to help shift within the entire company. Mm -hmm. Um, Unless you have a really highly evolved CEO, Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, I've run into some really awesome CEOs um, and then we get to, play at a higher level, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, based on where they are. But generally speaking, I mean, you see the articles that are out there right now. Um, 85% of corporate America doesn't even understand how they're burning their, their people out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. 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 I yeah. mean, my goodness, please. Um, <laughs> and um, 85%, 90% of people are dealing with anxiety. Um, you know, obviously overdoses are through the roof. Um, alcoholism is at an all time high, you know, there's just all these things that are taking place and the corporations are feeling the effects of still a lot of them are in denial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you know, the statistics relative to 87% of corporations want their employees back in the office now, um, after quote, after COVID 13% want to go. And yeah. those 80% of corporations don't understand why. Yeah. Um, They're missing the humanity of (laughs) their employees. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but I do get to see the successes when I get to work with corporations and CEOs and execs, uh, usually four, five, six years. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, The shift has really definitely begun to take place. And then I see it as a reverberation. So every CEO, every exec, it reverberates off of them in their families, their communities, um, the, the company. So I see the kind of the pebble in the pond with the, the um, ripple mm-hmm. effect of yeah. every CEO, every exec that I work with, how we're actually beginning to tip the planet. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, KL, how do you, um, how do you, uh, attribute your spiritual practices to the things that changed you with respect to how you dealt with your son and and the the world that you had to live in in that in that season. Like what well, were- certainly from a spiritual perspective is you know being able to be quiet and still mm-hmm. so that I can connect to my spirit. Um, and hear my spirit and hear the guidance, um, and be present for that. I mean, being able to be still and quiet allows for that. And that's just critically important. And so I had a lot more wisdom that was able to evolve 
during that time period. And I certainly am uh, do these practices still. I mean, in a couple more weeks, I'm going to be going back up to Washington for another weekend of sweat lodges. Mm-hmm. Um, so quiet, still being in nature, mm-hmm. mm, listening. Mm-hmm. Those are all really, really important and extraordinarily powerful um, yeah. that I s- still employ and always will. Yeah. And what I would also say, too, is, you know, one of the major things is I had a community that was powerfully present for me in that experience. And I still do sweat lodges with that particular um, my vision quest group. So, um, you know, 95 percent of our success or failure is directly determined by who we surround ourselves on a regular basis. And so that vision quest group for me was that group, Mm -hmm. that community that I could be in and turn to and be vulnerable and just um, lay myself bare in what I was going through and how to navigate it myself. Um, And that community is still very much a part of my life and practices still. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, and, and that's, I mean, that's true for everybody, mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, yeah. is yeah. we need to surround ourselves with really powerful, awesome, inspiring um, people who help us lift up the best of us, who've, who yeah. have got our back, um, mm-hmm. who will be there when we fall mm-hmm. and um, and be there when we rise. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, what is the mission of Voices in Courage? It is to provide um, resources, a community, um, training, um, uh, ways to learn how to navigate this where you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, what I found when it was the darkest on the front end of this with my son was I had to cobble together all these pieces. What books should I read? What videos or documentaries should I l- listen to? Um, who was actually somebody that I felt like I could turn to in the community to begin to deal with the pain and the trauma and rise? Um, not, I think about it as terms of transcending and including, mm-hmm. uh, not like overcoming it, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. because it's always a part of you. And, um, so out of cobbling it together for myself, I thought, okay, this is ridiculous in this day and time that I have to cobble this together. Why isn't there a resource where loved ones can go to um, because we need as much help as the addict or the alcoholic or whoever's dealing with the addictions. And, um, and there just was not that, that community, that tribe that I found. So I thought, okay, there's a vacuum here that needs to be filled. And, um, and as it began to reveal itself, it became clear that this was my calling, mm. was to create that space um, where people felt safe, could drop the shame, the guilt, all the things that keep us from really dealing with this um, in a healthy way. And um, so it's resources, it's community, it's training, all, all the things that you need. Are there local 
opportunities or is this more of a virtual uh, community, KL, where people uh, kind of join or uh, mm-hmm. how does the support work? It's virtual at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, we're in the process of putting all the pieces together still. Um, we will do a launch on November 1st. Um, so mm. all the pieces are being put together right now. Um, we've been working on this for months to, um, have online trainings. And one of the things that we've done, I think that's a little different is I've been interviewing people that are either dealing with addiction or alcoholism or their spouses or their family members. And, um, in the membership that we're going to set up, um, those interviews will be shared Mm -hmm. and that's a nuanced way of, giving people a window in yeah, um, that they can hear what people's stories are and they can see the progression of their journey. Like when you asked earlier, David, about, you know, when people are right in the, in the beginning of the crisis Mm -hmm. and they, they need to fix their family member and, and, and um, we have some of those stories that talk about that time Mm -hmm. where people actually, are raw and real about how devastating that experience has, has was and possibly still could be. Um, and interviews along the way where you can see people progress and shift their mindsets, take better care of themselves, um, create thriving communities for themselves, mm-hmm. shift their beliefs, begin to ask themselves more powerful questions like what are the gifts and lessons embedded in this experience for me and become really vigilant learners. Mm -hmm. And so you put all those things in one place. um, I believe it will create a very powerful place for people to be that's safe and private and, and secure. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, I'm going to ask this question on behalf of our listeners who are listening to this episode prior to November 1st, 2021. Mm -hmm. Uh, Have you guys secured uh, a URL? Do you have a placeholder that uh, online that our listeners? Okay, voicesencourage.com. Okay. And they can go there now. Okay, bookmark that sucker. Uh Uh-huh. Are there some resources there right now? And it's going to be a bigger launch November one. Um, right now, um, there is a list of books and um, oh, good. videos and documentaries that were very helpful for me in okay. my journey. Um, there's blogs that have been written um, that are, you know, pe- a window in into the journey of okay. all of this. All um, right. And um, and then they can, um, if they want to get information, they can give us their email address and we will begin to let them know what's coming. And if they're interested, then um, they can get more information. Okay, fantastic. Well, uh, KL, this has been uh, inspiring and informative, uh, exciting. Thank you for taking time out of your day to join us here on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Listeners, stick with us. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast, and we just had a great conversation with K.L. Wells, uh, who is the CEO and founder of Voices in Courage, and uh, 
which again, you know, exists to help the, the family members and loved ones of those who are suffering from addiction. And one of the things I've really, really, uh, I, I won't say su- was surprised by Nate, but was encouraged by is that um, Kale's approach kind of sounds like it starts with helping the loved one care for themselves. Yeah, yeah. Rather than just jumping right out and aiming the guns at addiction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't help but think of you as she was describing uh, the person who shows up at work and, you know, the the typical expectation is you leave your private life outside and you come in and you you have your at-work persona. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she specifically said, she, she mentioned, you know, at home you've got the the, you know, the spouse with a terminal disease. And I thought, holy crap, David knows that experience. Yeah. Because for years you, you had to show up at work. Yeah. Uh, you had a, you had a, a wife at home who was terminally ill. Mm-hmm. You had that experience. You, you performed that way as an active addict and you mm-hmm. also lived that way in recovery. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah, that uh, that is a huge thing, you know, because a lot of our addiction um, mentality is in in our compartmentalized thinking. You know, yes, we get well or healthy or into recovery when we learn to integrate. Um, yeah, that there's not, you know, just this David and that David and the other David, um, but those can all coexist and be at peace, even if it's. Mm-hmm not optimal circumstantially. And I think that the thing that um, was my survival mechanism in doing that during that time, uh, besides drinking, (laughs) was um, compartmentalization. I just had to live in, you know, when I went to work, I couldn't afford to feel what I left at home and be yeah, there and, yeah. and function. And so I didn't know how to, um, I didn't know how to bring all that kind of together at that yeah. point. And, uh, so yeah. I think she's, yeah, to your point and hers, I think she's making a great, um, distinction there for, for people to understand that, um, the expectations that we have of people, uh, is somehow that they're going to, you know, check everything else at the door and walk in every day and, um, perform at a hundred percent. And well, let me ask you this day. Yeah. Yeah. When you think about it, how did that experience, I mean, that long agonizing experience watching, uh, Trisha's, you know, physical, uh, and mental decline, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, how, when you look back on it now, how was life working for you when you thought life was, was happening to you? Was it how? How was it? In other words, how is today's David dependent upon? Has it been built upon that experience? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of ways that I don't even think of. But one of the ways that I do is that I think that I have um, had a pretty long course in what is and is not a big deal. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and, you know, when when somebody you love is in a hospital bed at home for seven years and they're waiting on you to get home for dinner yeah. so that they can eat, you know, and, yeah. and you're tied up with this, that and the other thing. And, um, you know, um, 
the fact that the the guy who came and did the power washing that day didn't do as good a job as you had hoped um that's that's a you know it's an annoying thing and and you deserve a good job for what you pay for but it's not the end of the world you know yeah yeah it, yeah, yeah um it's not it's not the deal breaker you know yeah, i yeah. i remember having a conversation with um my wife's mother at one point when she was uh, in a when my wife was in a skilled care facility and we were exceeding the number of days that insurance was going to pay, you know, yeah, because there's a cap on that and um, and then it gets really expensive. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, her mom was was going on and on and on about the fact that you know, gosh, you're going to be out this much money and you're going to be out that and what if this and what if that and what if they want how in the world will you do and all this kind of stuff because that's kind of her mo. Um, and I said, you know what? I don't know. I'm just trying to make sure that today Trisha gets a bath. Um, and if I can yeah. make sure that they come down and give her a bath, this is going to be a really great day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, uh, yeah. again, not to minimize the things are are important, but there are just things. I, I, there is a perspective shift when you yeah. live out certain things. And um, and 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 when I got sober and learned that a big part of this was going to be integrating what was true um, and and that there were lessons that I was going to take with me that were going to shape yeah. me. And this is, you know, something that, um, and I think families of, of people suffering with addiction can say the same thing that you're, you're going to be different from here. Yeah. You know, you don't, yeah. you're yeah. not going to go through this and then go back to your old, whatever you thought normal was, you know, you're yeah. going to be yeah. different for a long time after mm. this. And hopefully mm. for the better, you know. So I got to tell you, it hit me hard when KL said that she wrote her son, you know, a thank you letter mm. for mm-hmm. <laughs> for you know for his addiction experience because mm-hmm. it helped to move her and form her. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing is wasted, David. Nothing is wasted. No. Well, uh, before we wrap, would you remind our listeners of our sponsor? I will. Uh, we are happily sponsored by BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, BetterHelp.com. And you have probably heard of them and seen their commercials, but this is online therapy that you can access uh, anytime. You can have your own therapist, your own individual licensed therapist uh, that can help you through all the stuck places that you feel, uh, uh, just depression, anxiety, uh, any of the any of the issues that would drive you into any other counseling situation. And if you go to betterhelp.com slash positive sobriety, you'll get a discount on your initial sign up and we will get to know uh, what resources we offer are benefiting people. So uh, go to betterhelp.com slash positive sobriety and set up a time for you to uh, confront the things in yourself that you are needing to address. Hmm. Hmm. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, it's been another great conversation. Uh, another episode now <laughs> in the vault. Uh, and uh, you know, one of the great things, uh, one of the things I really love about podcasting, David, is unlike regular broadcast television in the old days, you know, mm-hmm. you put it out into the ether uh, and either people heard it or they didn't. And then it right. was gone. This conversation is going to survive both of us. <laughs> right yes yes it will and uh so whoever you are whenever you're listening to this uh wherever you are uh i'm nate 
I'm David. And we're still your pals on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. The Positive Sobriety Podcast is recorded at Crossroads for the Nations in Brentwood, Tennessee. Live producer Rex Schnelli, music by Rex Schnelli, theme music by Matt Ulrich, uh, hair and makeup by Lyle Lovett, uh, wardrobe <laughs> by Kathy Gifford. 